another episode of Trade Secrets. My name is Candace Stewart. I'm your hostess. And today we have the unflappable, amazing Ross Hogarth. I love Hi, Ross. it. Hi, Ross. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm unflappable. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know where that came out. I just, just like pulled that out of my ear. So um, I kind of like to do this like the guy that did, uh, you know, the, uh, oh, fuck, what was his name? Uh, Lipton. I kind of do it like that. Like at first I asked like, where were you born? Born in New York. Oh, and what city? Oh, New York City. Yeah, New York City. Born at New York General Hospital. Oh, my God. And when did you, uh, did you grow up in New York? I grew up in the city. Uh, my father uh, taught art um, at the School of Visual Arts. He was actually co-founder of the School of Visual Arts. That's amazing. Um, and then uh, my parents didn't get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> so I, they ended up divorcing. I ended up uh, spending uh, part of my... Uh, Part of the time in Yonkers and then ended up here in California. All right. So mom moved to California, we're assuming. No, you just left. They, I did. They, they were no, both I, on their I, own. I pulled a clean getaway. <laughs> I, I had to get away. I'd be dead if I never left. And that's really the truth. I left home early as well. Yeah. And I was out here and working at 16. I well, we probably haven't said that. We, I, maybe I did say this. Ross is a producer and a recording engineer and I, a very well-known one, by the way. This is not, you can't see him, ladies, but he's really cute, too. All right, go ahead, Ross. I'm sorry. Oh, Candace. <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I allowed to, to say how long we've known each other? Sure. I mean, because that dates us. But I know your brothers before. It's okay. It's okay. I met them. But, I mean, we're talking like over 40 years. A long time. Like a yeah. really long time. A really long time. And we were just talking in the, I was talking, you know, on the session that I just finished up, but talking about coming out here and ending up at 16 because my oldest brother being here in town. Is that how that happened? Yeah. What's he, your older brother's name? Michael. He's not with us anymore. He passed in 2017. Sorry, yeah. sorry about that. And uh, so, yeah, I just, I had to get out of New was York. Was he in the music biz? No, Michael was an artist. And he went oh. to uh, Santa Monica uh, College. And uh, and he knew, like, Keltner and that oh. whole clan. And that's how I got into being those a, of you who don't know Jimmy Keltner's one of the most famous drummers walking the earth he's still with us he's still playing all the time and he's a treasure yeah so I was yeah. fortunate enough because of um my brother's uh friendships where it was like hey here's my little brother and he's really good at setting up drums and guitars Aww. and so I became I was a roadie before you met me right I was and, gonna ask you what what instrument do you play um I I played, I was originally a drummer. They threw me in the basement with a drum kit and then I needed melody. <laughs> so I, I um, stole one of my brother's guitars. No. And well, stole, you know, he wasn't playing it. So I played his guitar, played my dad's mandolin. Oh, um, your oh so your dad was an artist, uh, but a painter? Yeah, he was, oh, yeah, okay. he, he was actually the original illustrator of Tarzan. Oh, how cool is that? And he got out of doing that. Yeah, you never knew this, but. This is, I yeah. learn a lot. Yeah. So my dad was the original illustrator of Tarzan, Bern Hogarth, and uh, he stopped doing Tarzan to start an art school because he was um, always interested in edu being an educator, and uh, he dude, was just so bored with doing Tarzan. Dude, that is so cool, though. Yeah. Dude, I, I can't even imagine that. So you're out here, you're 16, your brother's giving you a little bit of a leg up. You'd already been a roadie, so that, that kind of hipped you to like stage setup. And well, I was like a guitar that. player. I was a drummer. I played French horn as a kid. And my mom sang in the cantata singers at church. Oh, wow. And uh, so I had, you know. Cantata singers. Okay. I'm from the South. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Well, it's, you know, it's 
it's the it they do a lot uh, you know i don't know Are you what catholic the, i'm assuming um I'm, I'm i'm a reformed atheist no <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i actually yeah i was raised uh in the beginning yeah yes yeah yeah i just i didn't I, dogma is not my you know it's like Dog is not my karma. No, it's <laughs> get your not. dogma off my karma. That's, yeah, get, get <laughs> don't your, let your dogma pee on my karma. No, uh, sorry. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's yeah. For me, it's like um, spirituality, but I yeah, for sure, absolutely. So, um, yeah, the cantata singers are just they were uh, the 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 church choir, but not really. I mean, there's no gospel in my. Yeah, see, yeah. White people in. Yeah, see. <laughs> Where I come from, everyone's screaming. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. black, white, they're all yelling. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I made a decision early on. I saw myself, you know, in my 40s or 50s in like a flash forward playing in like a crushed velvet suit to some jukebox, a bunch of drunks in the Midwest, and it was scary. Yeah. And, I, and, and in my mind, I always envisioned myself working with the greatest musicians and I knew I wasn't going to make it as a player. Oh. Like I put in those 10,000 hours to get to that place where what was coming out of my hands was not what was in my head. And it was frustrating. And I just. That's, I, that's how I felt when I was an assistant engineer. And I was actually didn't suck as bad as I thought I did. But I went to my brother and said, I don't have the electronics aptitude to be an engineer. And I, I'm just going to help you book it and do the sales. <laughs> that was how that happened. Yeah. And <laughs> that's I, how was I just, quit engineering. I was good. I. I was good at like everything, you know, setting up gear, doing sound, being able to get along with people, which I think is crucial. Oh, key. You know, I think that's one of the most crucial parts of every or any business is getting along with people. If you don't get along with people, you know, if you're like an engineer and you don't get along with people, you're probably going to need to just do editing. There's a a couple of those. (laughs) Stick them in an editing bay and make them edit movies or something and just... Be by yourself. Be be alone. Yeah, Yeah. goodbye. Code, like be a coder. So you're you're 16, you you, you figured it out, You're, you're in LA, what was the first place you went and got a job? Well, I came out to LA and realized I really didn't like it down here. Um... And went up to San Francisco, oh, where okay. I had eleven guys that I knew growing up, my whole like growing as kids. Like everyone left Yonkers and went to the Bay Area. <laughs> well, everybody left New York. Yeah, they ended up. Yeah, Yonkers was like just a, a pit stop for me. No, but oh, gotcha. yeah, eleven guys that I'd known basically since grade school were in we in the hate in a storefront in- right off the Hate Ashbury, and we. They had put a loft in there, and there were 11 or 10. I became the 11th dude. <laughs> was there a lot of Nog Champa incense burning? Because I, I can't imagine 11 dudes no, just that, that weed. would smell like. Just weed. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> just crack. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but literally. Ross doesn't do crack. He only does Not weed. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no more crack. Say no to crack. <laughs> but literally, our buddy Jesse had, uh, he, 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 was starting a pizzeria that's still there, but he, he doesn't own it anymore between Masonic and Ashbury, which is oh, the wow. heart of, of hate Ashbury. Uh, yes. And this is in, you know, the mid to late seventies. Oh my God. How fun. And, uh, and so we built this pizzeria and, um, we all were painting houses and doing like back then yeah, whatever. the gays were buying up all the, the apartments and we were doing these colored Foshes, like all those multicolored right, foshes. right, right, yeah. And uh, and I got involved with a bunch of bands, um, and didn't 
I was like, it were was, you still it, doing live stuff at that point? I hadn't. No, this is before I'd actually. This is before. This is literally before me becoming a roadie. This oh, is got a, it. Okay. This is like just a dumbass sixteen-year-old kid out of New York. Got to get the hell out of New York and save my ass, you know. And so, um, I ended up down in Santa Cruz, where oh, I ended up meeting the road crew for Jackson Brown, the Doobies, Bonnie Raitt, a guy named Dennis Scrimma, who still works for Jackson Brown, doesn't work for Bonnie, but. The road crews for those bands all were in, based in Santa Cruz. Okay. And there was a, a bar that's still there called The Catalyst. I love Santa Cruz. I've been there. And so The Catalyst, what I started doing was working at The Catalyst. Um, and at the same time, because I had been down here with my brother who was friends with Keltner. Right, right. Um, I met um, the, this road crew basically led me to David Lindley where – I ended up going on the road oh, and amazing. working for Lindley, working for Ry Cooter, and ended up back here in L.A., which then was like, you know, doing all sorts of... Well, and I ended up at a place in, in the Valley. I know this is all jumping around, but I ended up at a place really. in the Valley called Alley Rehearsal Studio. Oh, I remember Alley. And Alley was where, you know, Little Feet rehearsed. Oh, yeah. Linda Ronstadt, Bonnie Raitt stored her gear there. Oh, Ian yeah. Wallace, the drummer who's not with us anymore. Lindley stored his gear there. Davy Johnson. And it was open pretty late. The alley was open for a long time until not that. Oh, it just long ago. it closed only a few years ago when Bill and Shiloh, who owned it, died. Oh. Um, so out of the alley, I became the guy that said yes to everything. Oh. Um, I did guitars for Brian Ray. Who's, oh, I love him. You know, with Paul McCartney Paul now, but yeah, I did his guitars with Etta and uh, Nicolette Larson. I did Lindley Cooter. Oh, like I said, Keltner's drums. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, and through that, it, it uh, led me this. to the studios. It led me to being in all the studios. Well, maybe, I mean, was it the kind of thing where you're, you're doing these rehearsals or you're doing these sessions and then it, at Rumbo or Record Plant or wherever the band goes, they're like, well, we just want Ross to come. Well, yeah, it became like, like well, particularly back then, and we were just talking about this, the section, it was, had, was becoming the new wrecking crew. Right. Was Danny and Lee and Russ. Yeah. And Russ and, Kunkel, Danny You know, Kirchmar. the late late 70s, that wrecking crew. And so. You talk about know, Lee Rittenauer and you say Lee Guys that Sklar. I was doing. Yeah, Lee, Lee Sklar. Sklar. Lee Sklar. Yeah. And so the guys that I was working with were either with or were them. Um, and so you'd end up in the studio and Lindley played on a lot of those dates. So. Right. I would say bring I would bring Lindley's gear to like a Warren Zevon session or right. a Dave, or Crosby Nash Finnegan session. Finnegan played on a lot of stuff too. Yeah, Finnegan, and so it's interesting how and I go back to you know make, making friends and friends become family. You know, like you, For sure. Oh. Like seriously, like you thank know, you. And when you make friends with people, that you're going to have friendships that last like the rest of your life. I tell my staff that I tell the guys that work together. I'm like the people you're working with now are going to be your friends and your competitors for the next forty years if you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah. yeah. And, and if you're not a like honestly, if you're not a douchebag, if you're not a dick, yeah. <laughs> you know, I I'm going to give life. Not, I could be a life coach, basically. Yeah, it yes. would only be one line. It would be, don't be a dick. You were That's so it. great. I was doing a meeting one day with the staff and Ross <laughs> walked by. I asked him to give them a word of wisdom and I think that was it. And I think we both agree. That's, I mean, that's but all. Mine you, would be, don't be a pussy. Don't be a pussy or a dick. No, wait, no, no, no. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta know. You gotta have some. You gotta beyond being a dick or, or not being a dick, but you gotta actually have, be able to back it up. Yeah, right? you gotta be cool. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that was. 
you know, and one of the other greatest gifts of uh, ending up, you know, from Santa Cruz to L.A., up in Santa Cruz is where I met my wife to be. Oh, the most gorgeous and beautiful and obviously blind. No kidding. Her, <laughs> I had totally to, kidding. Had to convince her to come to L.A., <laughs> get out of there. She's from down here. Okay. But uh, Was she going to school? She's going to school oh, in yeah. San Jose oh, and yeah. living in Santa Cruz. And, nice. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I ended up, what ended up happening was, if you're around musicians, you know their sound. Yeah. And if you're around great engineers and you're watching them get sounds. Right. But then you, this musician, say, is working on a session with not a great engineer. And, like, David Lindley would, like, look at me and he's like, why is it doesn't, it doesn't why does it sound right? It doesn't sound right. And yeah. I would go out into the live room and get in front of the amp and, and come back in and say, well, it sounds great. Your sound is great. It's just not coming out of the speakers. And I learned that the deal is you got to go out in the room and you got to hear what's happening and then it has to translate. And so adjust the mic, whatever it is, whatever it takes. Yeah. And, and a lot of engineers never get out of their chair. They never go out. They never hear what's going on. And so they're they're turning a whole bunch of knobs when it, they could just move a microphone. And everybody wants to be a mixer, which have no no discredit to our friends who are that's all they do. There's a lot of great ones, but to me, I think tracking so much we so much more oh, fun. It's, it's where the it's, it's it's where all the magic happens. Uh, I mean, and here we right. are in the, the we're in of, a really big room. Right one now. of the greatest <laughs> studios on the whole planet. Oh, and this is there's so much magic in the walls. This is where the juice is. This is where the it's I didn't I mean the so, dream is to track over it up and mix the shit you tracked yourself because mm -hmm. then you're you're five steps ahead because you know what you did and it's totally. all beautiful totally but to me I, I was uh, Keith and I were told my assistant and, I, and producer we're talking about this the other day it's like mixing is okay but it's kind of boring you know <laughs> the unfortunate thing it's cool though. and I talk about this with some of my friends that that don't have enough mix credits that are great recording engineers right. that haven't yet gotten known as mix engineers. And there's a lot of frustration because the recording engineers don't get enough credit these they days. They definitely do not. Where, yeah. you know, there is this somewhat lost art of how to record things correctly. I actually explained this today to a client via email. He was like, well, well, so-and-so, because we have a lot of friends who are great at both. And one of them, my good friend, Mark Needham, great tracking engineer, great mixer, can certainly do both, no problem. And the guy's like, yeah, well, I don't know, you know, this person's mainly does that. I'm like, well, but he he can certainly record, you know? <laughs> He's yeah. a good recording engineer. Well, and on the flip side, the guys that don't get enough time uh, to mix tend not to get the the uh, the glory, so yeah. to speak. So, yeah. And the frustration of that for me is the fact that, yeah, I actually, I would prefer, if I had a choice... Just put me here in this room and let me record. You Bands. Know, just record basics. Yeah. I'd be, ha I'd be the rhythm happiest guy. Rhythm section yeah. and stuff like that. Just yeah. that would, I would be happy and I probably would never want to like leave the business. Well, you're good at, you're good at all those things. But being yeah. stuck in a room mixing, the pandemic has definitely yeah. made me way more grateful to be able to come into studios like this right. and track. We, and because we, I, I've, you know, primarily been mixing. When you last... still have a cool studio in your house. Too. I do. And yeah, I'm yeah. fortunate that I do. I yeah. mean, I'm not discounting the, the gratitude for being able to roll out of bed, jump in the pool and go to work. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, that's... Well, a... and but I'll also say, 
that because you are an engineer, when you built a studio in your house, you took the time and care to actually create an environment where you could actually record and actually do stuff. Because people, if you're listening to this podcast, I just want you to know, there's a lot of people with home studios and they don't sound that great. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that great. No, but there's nothing like coming to, I, I love. It's all about the artist, all about the song and performance. Well, absolutely. Because yeah, yeah. the greatest recording engineer in the world, if you suck, well, you can make you sound better. The, the <laughs> most frustrating thing when I was still assisting and, you know, working yeah. behind people was watching guys get so caught up in the gear it, yeah, yeah. that they, like the musicians are just Wait. waiting yeah. for the guy to turn the knob enough that he says record. For me, I learned, and this came from live because I did, you know, yeah. I was on the road and yeah. and it, with, with live, there's no, now there is no time. No, it, there it is. It's there and gone. And, and if you don't have a spare head, if the head goes down, you got to be ready for right. everything. And so problem solving becomes crucial and being able to live in the moment and fix stuff. Well, and, and, and you know this. I mean, things things happen. Stuff breaks. Mics go down. You don't stop the session because, you know, an 87 went down. You run out, or 57, you, you run out there, you, you change, put another one on, whatever. you keep fucking going. Yeah. Don't kill the vibe, I think. It's a crucial thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a really crucial thing. And learning and learning how to read people. Um, and, you know, man, I made so many mistakes. You were around me when I was like, you know, we were all... You know, you have to grow up a certain... I've loved you always. <laughs> I and, know you did, and, but... And anybody you were rough on deserved it. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> well, we... For the record. <laughs> and it wasn't me. He was never mean to me, so fuck it. <laughs> no. Well, then that's the truth. You know, when you when you grow up around people who don't put up with... um, Like, don't suffer fools. Dude, when we were coming up... Okay, now, I never made, made it past the cut, but my own brother... And you're probably going to listen to this, Steve... My own brothers were so gnarly. It was like Cool Hand Luke. Like I had to rewrap like a thousand mic cables. You know what I mean? If right. it didn't throw straight. But, but honestly, see, I think we both agree that coming up with people that don't suffer fools, well, Ron Evison, uh, you know, anybody. Who, all of the. Yeah, all the great guys. You know, that's a, that's a good thing. It was a good thing for I training. Mean, I mean, he's not with us anymore. And. And we Ooh. all, well, both of them, Al and Eddie. Oh yeah. But neither yeah. one. And, and 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 sometimes when people pass away, they people only talk about. Oh just, yeah, they were tough. Are you kidding the, me? Right, just the positive. They only talk about the positive. Dude, dude Eddie tough and Al very tough. Yeah, Steve Jenowick, you tough. Both of those guys <laughs> yeah. would not suffer fools and. But they had also come up with like the Phil Ramones and people like That's that. That's what I'm saying. Same kind. It was a it was a trajectory. And those of you listening, whether you agree or don't agree, it doesn't really matter because the truth of it is, those guys being that way made other people better. I'm going to say that for the I'm, record. It made I'm wholeheartedly. It made me. I mean, it definitely. Yeah. If you don't have that a little bit, I mean, you got first of all. If you're not nervous when you go in to do a session and don't have a, a slight amount of fear, no matter how many sessions you've done, you're not really a good engineer. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. If you don't have that slight like, oh shit, they're all going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Even though you absolutely know what you're doing. But you know what I'm saying? If you don't have that fear, you I, don't care, in my opinion. I totally agree. And, yeah. it's, and it's a balance because I've worked with guys that make me nervous through their nervousness. Yeah. 
Um, and that's something that is not good. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, I've always looked at fear like the greatest motivator. Yeah. Because I don't ever want to screw up. Right. And so I'm always about preparation. Like yeah. Candace knows that about me. Like yeah. any session I ever have, I'm making sure ahead of time I communicate with the assistants. Yeah. I, and the, I, I like working with assistants that communicate because we get yeah. on the same page before yeah. the session starts. Yeah, that, now, that is a thing that, that in a studio like this, we endeavor to teach, of course. We totally do. But the communication style of the new generation is different. They're like, oh, yeah, I talked to them. And I'm like, well, did you get the mics? Did you get that? Anyway, they're good. And they're all fine. But people like you teaching them and them watching you, I tell them every day, I'm like, look, you watch every guy you work with and you glean little tricks. Like if you like something that they did, you incorporate that and that becomes part of your style. It's not really stealing. It doesn't matter if you steal it, if it's good. Well, what's hilarious (laughs) is, you know, you, you set up this podcast with trade secrets and I've never looked at anything not a secret that anything that i ever do or anyone that i learned from we see the double entendre is that you're trading secrets that's <laughs> and so they're not secrets no, they're anymore not secrets. you're just trading yeah. information <laughs> well and and I, honestly the guys trade is the trade but trade doesn't give it away the guys that i always respected were the ones that i could ask a question yeah and they would actually take the time to explain it instead of like Oh, well, I can't tell you that because that's my secret. That's my proprietary. Oh, yeah. yeah. The guy invented the wheel. Oh, no, it's like there isn't anything we do that's original, really. It's I'm not really. I mean, it's the same with rock, with music in general. I mean, four, 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 you know, it's just it's what it is. And in the end, the, the gift is like being able to actually help a musician be. And the same thing for me. I have always been pulled up to a higher level. Dude, when el- I work with people that are better than me. Eliciting performance and making people feel comfortable enough to do their best. That's a big part of your job. And get out of the way. Yeah, get out of the way. Let it happen. Let the magic happen. The collaboration that happens between players. Don't be like, oh, what are you guys doing? Like, wait a minute. It's like if, if, if great musicians get on a roll, record it. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> Don't be like cock... There- Cock blocking them. <laughs> there's there's a lot of things I think that because there's a part of what we do that you can't really teach. You have to only learn through experience. Yeah. And so I only hope that the some of the things that guys like that aren't with us anymore, Greg Ladani, Al Schmidt, oh, yeah. you know, Eddie Cherney, you know, cats that Chuba, you know Don Smith. You know, Don Smith. Dude. These are all guys I got to work. I mean. Phil Ramone. And you would learn just by watching them, but working with them. Yeah. Because they would make, the guys that I worked with, like that we're talking about, you became partners with them in the studio. Well, that's that's what you really are. When you're an assistant, that's really what you really are. And, and, And the guys that are present, that's why it used to be. Yeah, the leaving the room thing. What is that all about? And it used to be um, like newspapers or magazines. Like if I looked and the assistant was like reading the newspaper or reading a magazine, I would think to myself, Well, where are you? Man? Where Why are aren't you, you here? Yeah. Now it's the phone. You know, yeah. if I look back and the assistant's texting, he's on the phone. And, and that's why, honestly, I say to a lot of guys, Put your phone away. Go analog with me. Get a notepad and a pen. Because if I you see you writing on a notepad, I'll think to myself, you're writing a note about the session. Exactly. If I see you on the phone, even if you're 
writing a note about the session right, on you your don't phone. Know it. I don't know. And yeah. I'll think you're texting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I say, so you're going to have to go analog with me. You know? Well, I mean, th- let's think about this. And I say analog, which is really dates me. No, I love that. <laughs> How can you not want to be present? I mean, the whole point is that you're part of the creative process, that you, you get lucky enough to be involved. So why not be involved? You know what I mean? Like, I don't get it. And Candace, it's a short, you've got, I mean, it's a short list. Look, you got yeah. this studio. Look at the opportunities yeah. that you give people when they work here. If they don't take advantage of it, to me, it would be like. It's a crime. I know. Go, go, go do something else. <laughs> you know, let someone get out of the way. Well, let, get out of the way. Yeah. Well, I mean, back to, back to the greats and the people that didn't suffer fools. Well, I mean, the story for all the studios that we, I ever was at and that you worked at too, was probably like, there's a thousand other people that want your job. And it was kind of true. There probably were a thousand other people that wanted your job because it's a cool job. <laughs> there, and now it's probably, you know, a zillion. I mean, it's right, like the schools, right? Oh, it's, you know, and I res- that's why I respect the, uh, the teachers. I try to stay in touch with, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't do, you do a lot more with crass. Yeah. Um, and know, Blackbird too. I like but I, Blackbird. I, Mark, I'm on the, I'm Oh my on God. The, Mark Ribble's a genius. I I'm just on got back. Zoom. I was there in May. Yeah. I'm on the zoom every class oh, talking dude. to those classes. I, I tell I was them, there in person terrorizing the students. <laughs> and with Paula too, right? Yeah. 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 But I just love Mark Ribble. He is, he's everybody listening to this. Look this guy up. He's amazing. He's, and Mike Clink told me who we also love, who hasn't done this yet, told me that he's from the exact same town, and I thought it was Champaign, Illinois, but it might even be someplace smaller that they're from. Oh, I think it is Champaign. In, Il- in Illinois. Yeah. So it, they're always, Mike was so excited. He's is like, Clint from? He's from Illinois. Oh, wow. I thought he was from Michigan, but that's another story. I, see, now, I, I, I call him the mayor. Who, Mike Clint? I call him the mayor. He's, well, he's, he's like, he's, you know, he's like, or, or I... I <laughs> He's so I, awesome. I just, that to me, he's like the mayor. Dude, he, like, he blessed me. He was just here for three weeks. He'll be back soon. Uh, and you know, good, he came out of, I mean, I worked with him at Rumbo. Rumbo. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know? So we haven't gotten yet. We, we got to get to, so we've got Ross. He's at the alley. Now he's, now he's recording more and more. So what was the first recording studio you worked at? Um, the first official, like real official gig was Rumbo. Was Rumbo. Yeah. It was Rumbo. It was the captain Daryl Dragon, who's also not with us anymore. Yeah. Um, oh, I loved him. I got to meet him a few times. Captain Tennille built a studio out in Canoga Park um, and named it after his uh, childhood stuffed animal, elephant, <laughs> Rumbo. This, and that's why the logo. Oh, my God. I had no idea. And, and, and they had this huge stuffed elephant out there. Oh, my God. But uh, at that point in the early 80s, coming out of the 70s, the Captain and Tennille were one of the biggest huge. artists in the world. Huge. And they had their own TV show. Oh, yeah. And... They lived out in uh, Calabasas and, you know, before it was chic or anything out there Beautiful where you though. could buy a, a big ranch and yeah. and say, so you know, lived on the edge of town. Is Tony and, with us still? Tony Tennille? Uh She is. She lives yeah. down in Scottsdale oh, yeah, gotcha. where they had moved to. So the Captain Tennille built this studio called Rumbo and I end up uh, bonding just by virtue of going into Rumbo on a session, bringing gear in and I meet... Um, the captain, I meet Don Gaiman, who, oh, wow. who was just starting to produce Malacamp records. So was, was Daryl Dragon his real name? Yeah. yeah. Carmen Dragon, his father, was one of the main conductors for the L.A. Symphony. Oh, and, okay. And, uh, and Dennis Dragon, you know, his other brother, had, right. you know, the surf punks. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and um, Daryl played um, the, the 
our part on like good vibrations. He was played a lot of Beach Boys overdubs oh, really? and stuff. Yeah. So, so you know, before the captain became the captain, he was kind of wrecking crew guy. He was. He was. Yeah. He yeah. was like a session, and he was like friends with the Beach Boys and stuff. So. Oh my god, dude. So you have the captain and Tennille Start. I start working at Rumbo, and the nice thing for me at the time was having road experience. And uh, I built a new monitor rig and a new PA rig for them. And oh, I became Daryl's guy. And I would go out on the road. Um, and and it because I'd worked on the road already quite a bit, um, I didn't have to, quote, unquote, pay so many dues as right. an assistant engineer. Right. I already knew that I, w- I was already like... I, well, I, signal I didn't, flow and everything else I didn't, is yeah, already second nature. I didn't want to be an I knew I was an engineer. I was already... And I was going to have to assist some more. But I could engineer for him and engineer at the studio and I started to assist and Rumbo was the like sister studio to Sound City right bands that came either into Rumbo would go to Sound City or went to Sound City so we had the same bands that went to Sound City yeah um would end up at Rumbo you know um Ario Speedwagon Rat Dio you know you know Fleetwood Mac yeah um we ended up so but in the early 80s I ended up working there and a guy named Richie Zito came in oh I know Richie very and, well as you know and Richie pulled me out of there and brought me down to Giorgio's a lot of people don't know that Richie's a really really good guitar player he played guitar for Giorgio Moroder and, and so John at one point I and, thought yeah and but Giorgio had his own like wrecking crew. Oasis was it Oasis was the studio Oasis. that Giorgio had and and uh and the session we just did today you know Anthony um was the synth you know he oh anthony marinelli was was part of the whole synth crew and so georgia was doing movies and richie was producing big artists like heart and cheap trick so i just ended up starting to work everywhere when i first started managing one of the the first well one of the first sessions i did was with clink was guns and roses but but richie was heart cheap trick all back to back and the girl this is funny people the girl that was mike clink's assistant and Richie Zito's assistant, her Katie. name is Katie Parks. We reconnected about four years ago, and now we hang out all the time. Oh, she's an art teacher. She's an art teacher now. Oh she my teaches god! Art. That's <laughs> she crazy. teaches art. She's got grown kids. She teaches art. But anyway, I digress. That's bananas. But, yeah, it's bananas. Yeah, because Katie so, married uh, Terry, and then Terry Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. So there was. They ended up that because of Rumbo, I met Don Gaiman. Don Gaiman brought me to Indiana to work on Mellencamp oh, Records. Man. Um, also someone who doesn't suffer fools well right John Mellencamp I, I, well also <laughs> or Don at the time the engineer who's not with us anymore Greg Edward I don't know how yeah, well you knew Greg I did but, not know him but Greg you know was running Rumbo and I became oh, Greg's I did not know him. yeah I became Greg's guy and we did Lone Justice and we did I all love those bands all that cowpunk stuff and, and, and wire the, train all that shit. and at the same time we had Don Smith there and the so best. I I was fortunate to work on or work with, you know, some of the greatest, with some of the greatest engineers where if you're in the room with those guys and and you're of the mindset that you're going to be there to not only like make sure that they're happy, but be part of the session. Where There, there are younger guys coming up, thankfully, you know, and he'll laugh when I call him a younger guy, but people like Daryl Thorpe or Alex Pasco or these guys. And Daryl already has plenty of credits. But these guys are younger and they also have the same great reverence for engineering, the great respect. And 
luckily they got to learn from some cool people like yeah, you. Well, because we 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 walk <laughs> you on, keep passing it on, and we walk on the shoulders of whoever right. we we you know we're fortunate enough to be around, and uh, and then you have to have your own. You know, no one has, you know, our ears are our ears. So, you know, what I might think sounds good to me, maybe someone else does, but, or someone doesn't, whatever. But the bottom line is you have to have an opinion of some sort as an engineer. You can't just be. You have to make decisions. Yeah. You got to be able to, to, to know that you like something or know that you don't and be able to express when someone says, well, why are you doing it that way? I didn't really hear that, but I kind of like that. You, you know, that's kind of the deal. But if someone doesn't like it. It's not for me to say like a waiter that brings a meal to someone, you know, that says, you know, this is way overcooked and go, no, you're going to have to eat that. Yeah, you can't be inflexible. No, you can't. (laughs) So, yeah, so those were the, that I really, the 80s was um, where I transformed from being just a knucklehead kid just trying to find his way to like working with some great people and working on some records that, you don't know whether something's going to stand the test of time. Yeah, you have no you just, idea. No, like when Gaiman and I went and did R.E.M.'s Life's Rich Pageant. After I we did, love that record. I had no idea God. that that record was going to be the record that people come up to me 20, 30 years later. Okay, and, well, dear, dear audience, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and I saw R.E.M. for 50 cents. Okay, and then the next year I saw them for dollar, and then after that they were REM and they were massive, and it was insane. And that's a connection with this building as well, uh, Scott Litt. Yeah, and and the interesting you know? thing was, so I do REM's Life Switch pageant, and then the next year, Scott Litt was mixing a record for Richie Zito, one of his Eddie Money <laughs> records, and so now I'm assisting Scott. And Scott's like, oh, well, I'm gonna about to go out and I'm going to... Wait a minute. You're assisting Scott after you do Life's Rich Pageant? I, yeah, well, because that What the was, fuck is wrong with this picture? Well, <laughs> it's called... Honestly, I'm going to say a word that I don't get to call myself, but I get to say it, which is humility. Yeah, you were humble. If you know, Now, I don't get to walk around with a t-shirt that says, I'm so freaking humble. Yeah. It's, there's, you, know, I, you don't get to do that. You know, it's like, oh, I'm so... Or, or a t-shirt that just said, I just did Life's Rich yeah. Pageant, you From fucker. the depths of my humility. <laughs> You know, so yeah, it doesn't really work that way. No. But at the same time, at at Giorgio Moroder Studio, sometimes they would book it out because it was private to people right. like Scott Litt who would work on the SSL. Yeah. So Scott's in there mixing um, uh, Eddie Money for Zito. And uh, he's like, oh, man, well, tell me about R.E.M. I need to learn some things about the band. Dude, I'm did about- he scam your gig? No, 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 no. He, I, it wasn't my gig. It was his gig. He was a, he was going to be the producer. Oh, right. Okay. Right. You know, got it. So, got it. Yeah. He. You know. And of course. Then, of course. Of course. But it was it was it was funny because that's that how, happens too, by dear listener. That does happen. It was so weird. It was All like fair and love and war. You know. So he ended up going on. But yeah, that's the only one REM record I did do. But I'm proud of it. And uh, dude, it's a great record. So you know, we we had built a studio for Mellencamp that he still uses today called Belmont Mall out of the design of Rumbo Studio B. Ah. Because he had come out and worked on one song at Rumbo with us, um, and as he was sitting in the control room, and he loved it, he was like, "I really love this. I want to and have this in Indiana, just like this." So we got the oh. guy Dave Guth, who was the woodworker that did all the shelves and did built, built. Oh, cool! He built Belmont Mall for Mellencamp, which is an absolute replica of Rumbo. Crazy! Like when you're sitting in the control room, it's as if you've been transported. 
from wow. Canoga Park to Indiana. It's too bad that Rumble's well, you know, gone. Wally, Wally Hyder and Bones Howe tried to do that with Studio 3 over at Hyder's, but I don't, they didn't, it it, it didn't translate, I don't think and so. It was three, I mean, it was awesome. Was that behind Martoni's? Was that, that Yeah. One? Yeah. That was that one, but it didn't, I mean, not because of they weren't geniuses or whatever, I don't know. It could have been because they couldn't get asbestos tile, who knows? <laughs> yeah, there's a point in my career, and I always say this, is like, at first you have to say yes to like everything. just about everything. Yeah. Only things I might have said no to was when someone I really trusted would say, or like, you know, someone like Nico would say to me, you know, because I would ask Nico, I've been friends with Nico forever. I love him so much. And I'd say to Nico, you know, this this such and such wants me to do this, but you know, they're not there's you know, they say they have no money and whatever, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And and Nico has has said this to me, and this is like one of his great lines. He says, well, tell them to pay you what you're worth or don't pay me at all. Yeah. And so I've yeah. learned in my life. You, got to, I'd you rather, do need to know your worth. You do. I'd, I'd often rather do someone a favor and work for free than be the cheap guy. Right, right. Or that, have them know that they're at least that you're giving them a deal because you believe in the project right. or you believe in them, not because you're desperate or right. don't, don't know your worth. So I would use people <laughs> like Nico or even, you know, Keltner or others that I trusted that were like, you know, Nico's not, you know, he's only a few years older, but that I call my elders, people I would say, you know, do you think this is a good idea? But in general, like I just said yes to everything. Yeah. Well, that's and how it, you learn. It got me in the door where I needed to get to. And it got, you know, you have to make, you have to know people. Yeah. You have to, and the best way to know people is to be working with them and showing up Dude, you just show up i referred a young guy the other day and then today i saw his name listed on a session i said oh did we get him that gig and they he said no the client the client knew him already and i'm thinking well that's it's it's like a goes around comes around thing like you refer someone they do a good job uh, someone else word of mouth says oh i work with this guy he was amazing boom 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 next you know you gotta got yourself a career <laughs> and 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 show up i i learned way early on it's my dad's thing my dad would say to me see the job do the job and stay out of the misery <laughs> not misery the misery it's like a it's like a thing you know what i mean <laughs> see the job do the job stay out of the misery and he would say to me like if you're on time you're late yeah, it's true. And I always say this to assistants. If I beat you to the studio more. Oh, that's fucked up. And, and you know me about that. Like, I'll come to you, yeah. you know, and I'd say to you, like, this is the third time that I beat such and such. Yeah, into that this. isn't cool. And you'd that be like, cool. okay. Cause that I, guy's, that guy's, yeah. Because yeah. if I say to somebody, look, when when it says like 9 o'clock, I'm going to be here probably 8.30 or 8.15. Sure. So if I'm beating you to the studio, it doesn't it doesn't cut it. Like, it's not... And that goes back to the preparation part of this, like actually taking our job seriously enough to have a good time. Well, and being excited about it. I mean, you know, think about it. It's like looking forward to something you actually want to do. You don't you don't oversleep and miss your flight to Paris, hopefully, hopefully. You know what I mean? If it's something that you're excited about doing, you fucking set your alarm. Hello. You know, make it happen. Well, this is all this is all so good. So I now know about the life source pageants. I learned so much that I didn't know before. But you're at Rumbo, you're doing your thing, you're doing major records. Um, when did you not, when did you leave just working at Rumbo? I mean, you, you left and went to other studios. Oh, I was, but, yeah, because I, I mean, even though I had a staff position there. Right, did, I was going to say, like, did you, were you able to do both for a I, while? I, I mean, it's like, the, the great thing about working at Rumbo was that 
um, first off, we when I started working there, Studio B wasn't even finished. And so I was one of those trusted guys that Daryl just trusted. Yeah. And, and then he hired Vicky after yeah, Rodney best. left. And Vicky was the studio manager for 20 so some odd years. Yeah. And uh, so right up until the day they closed, I had a home base at Rumbo. I just, you know, we right. took the back room that was Daryl's um, storage in his studio and we turned it into Studio C for Petty. Right. And Jeff Lynn. Yeah. And uh, they made Full Moon oh, Fever. Oh, God, and, I love that record. And, and, you know, I always had a home there, but I had a home with Giorgio. And then early 90s, I got a publishing deal in Nashville because I was always writing music. I just never. And there was a guy that I had so met. I, ne- I didn't know that. Well, there was a guy I met in Santa Cruz that started a band called Eddie and the Tide um, and got a deal on Atlantic. And I had played, um, he and I had worked on on a lot of music together um, and I had co-written stuff. But I was already like beyond, I was not going to be a player. I was not going to be in a band. I was not going to be a songwriter. But I am all those things. you right. know. So like there are times when I'll... So while you're recording and doing all this stuff and learning all this that stuff and doing I'm, all this stuff, you're also writing I'm songs. keeping my, my chops up and writing. Wow, with, nice. And so Steve Rice, who was Eddie of Eddie and the Tide, moves to Nashville. And we go down together and we ended up with a publishing deal with Doug Howard, who now is at Belmont. Right. Uh, Doug runs Belmont. But right. Doug was at uh, Mercury Polygram. And a guy who I knew who was a pedal steel player, Steve Fischel, who actually, to go jump around names, marries... My- he married Tracy Gershon, who is oh, wow. Gina Gershon's sister. Oh, yeah, I know her. So Tracy, who I had known through Petty, because she worked in Petty's. But anyway, so Fischl gives us a co-pub deal and a pub deal with Mercury. And uh, I considered moving to Nashville. So my wife, Chris, and I went down there. And she's a California girl. She grew up in Newport Beach. Yeah. And her whole family's out yeah. here. And you know, we were down in Nashville, and she said, you know, I, I couldn't do this. I couldn't move away from my family. I don't want to live in, 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 in Nashville. You know, and this is not to say anything bad about Nashville. We all know Nashville's amazing and has always been home to some of the greatest players in the world. But I myself have been faced with this quandary personally as well about moving to Nashville. And I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. I grew up on the water. I've lived in L.A. now almost 40 years. I don't live on the beach here, but I can go there. <laughs> and that's an important thing to me. Like that's a part of who I am and my being. Yeah. Like and, I, I can't deal with being landlocked. And one of the things that for me has always been, you know, I, I grew up with a really messed up family, just to be honest. And I'm not crying to blues about it. But when I met Chris and we got married, um, I one of the things I saw my friends that didn't stay married and were not happy in, at least in their relationships, is they weren't willing to sacrifice certain things well, for yeah, their for wives. Yeah, for their partner. Yeah, that's not cool. And and so that's something I'm still married today. And oh and, yeah, you know, it's you, beautiful. You 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 do those things because you're willing oh, yeah. to to not say to her, "Well, I'm going to make you move to Nashville." Yeah, yeah. I mean, now now now, in our parents' defense, my my mother did move 26 times because of my dad's job. Now she did it willingly because she they were following the jobs. And then, but when she had the choice of moving to Charleston, South Carolina in 1961 or moving to Scotland, because that was the, that was the options for my daddy, worked for Lockheed. I could have grown up in Scotland, you know what I mean? But my mom said, look, I went to school in Charleston. It's a beautiful city. It's, it's right on the water. Our kids will have the best childhood. It's going to be awesome. And I thank, I thank them both for doing that. And all those moms and dads out there who move for each other, we get it. We do. But we also get not making your partner do something they don't want to do. 
Well, this leads to happy an, wife, happy life. There's okay. two, <laughs> two interesting, two interesting times in my life. One that I just I jumped over back in the early '80s when I we weren't married yet, but Chris said to me, um, "If you want this relationship, you're going to have to get off the road." And at that point in time, Fair enough. yeah. And at that point in time, I was had you don't worked, have a family. Yeah. Well, I'd worked my way in the early '80s up to being. I was making three grand a week. Holy crap, dude! I, yeah, I I was up, you know, on certain gigs. That's good money now. It's crazy money, period. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And so when I quit the road and went to work at Rumbo as a staff guy, I went from three grand a week. So to she had to support that decision. Two hundred and eighty bucks a week. Yeah, so she had to support that decision. Now, Before now, taxes. How well did that go? <laughs> Well, at first I kind of resented it, but I didn't because no, I, I made for the, her. Or how did she adjust to that? Because I mean, you know, that's well, good. you know, we both now had to work harder. Right. You know, right. and so that was that decision. And then early 90s. OK, I'm not moving to Nashville. I'm not going to go down there. And and but here in L.A., music had changed yeah, a lot, a lot. And I didn't want to make another, like I'll just say out loud. You're not faster pussycat. That's exactly the record. That's the record. How did I know? That's the record. I worked on Wake Me, I'm Screaming or something like that. Wake Me Up, I'm Screaming. And it took three weeks for me to edit the drums together on Faster Pussycat. How you said that, I don't even know. I didn't even know you did that. I mean, you... I had no clue, actually, that you So, did. I mean, that record... But to me, and, and fans of Faster Pussycat, and any yeah, member of Faster we, Pussycat who's listening to this... Mad respect for everything you guys did, but Tammy, definitely, Tammy, I'm sorry, Tammy, yeah. if you're listening, Tammy down, yeah. I, I make amends to you in advance there of this comment. There was a time in LA when music became about hair and not about and, the music. And it was Faster Pussycat that pushed me. Poison. Well, oh. Faster Pussycat pushed me over the edge because I, because <laughs> I, I did Molly Crew Girls, 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 and that Different. was fun. And that Different. was, I mean, that was. And that was actually, you know, musically, I mean, Tommy Lee, but whatever. You know, he's a great drummer. We can't bash our pastor because get too much, but we will say that it was a change and a time and, in, and, in and music. And music had really shifted here. It shifted. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't, you know, and I, so I turned out. So wait, down, as a writer with this publishing deal, were you now going to have to write like Faster Pussycat songs? No, I was, I. <laughs> I would write songs like, you know, um, the next time your phone don't ring, that'll be me. Yes, you know? I love that. I got tears in my ears from laying on my back crying over you. Yeah, like, you know, um, how can I miss you if you don't go away? Um. Dude, country, put, country song titles put me are too fun. Put me out of your misery. Yeah. <laughs> It's so awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, I, didn't so, mis- oh God, I didn't know misery love company this much. Oh, my God, I'm no, so, so, uh and this is where, again, humbling myself, uh, my buddy Mike Morangel said, uh, I just went, you know, I just gone to the record plant. We're going to put some SSLs in there. Um, you know Rose, of course. Yeah. We need a guy who. And when he was at A&M, though, no? He had moved over from A&M. Okay. Rick had hired him at, at uh, record plant. Got it. And uh, he goes, we need a guy like you who we can count on that's oh already an engineer. And this is Sycamore. This is Sycamore. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, the record plant used to be. On and at third the time, image. I just thought to myself, you know, this is a lot. This is like you talk about humbling yourself. Where I actually, um, and I'll just say it straight up: like I gave Dave Wrights as his first gig. He I love came him so night, much. He came knocking on the door at Giorgio's. I needed someone to load a mag machine that day because we cut our own mag. 
which is, for those who don't know, is when you're mixing a movie back yes. then. We know what a mag machine is. Nagra, too. I know all that shit. So, and, and I also <laughs> said to him, you know, um, go out to Rumbo. Like, I need you today. So I'm going to give you a gig here. And so you're going to have a gig here, but go out to Rumbo because they need someone out there. Clink needs someone. And I sent him out, and he became an he assisted Clink on something that led to David Foster. I think it might have been... I forget who Foster was producing. Dave is a wonderful engineer and, and that, a sweetheart. And that led to his career. You know, and I, I can't make a guy's career, but I can definitely yeah. make a phone call. We can open the door. So you, know? you cut to Rose hires me at the record plant as her quote unquote chief engineer. It just was a glorified assistant gig. Right, right. But it was somebody she could count on that she knew when Again, someone- Again, it's all about the trust. And she knew that she could put me on a gig with anybody- and that I'd already, you know, by that point in time, been engineering for almost 10 years for yeah. like... Everybody. Golden Platinum Records. Dude, you know? and movies with Marauder. And so now I'm humbled because I'm at the record plant. Did you plant. ever meet Jürgen Coppers? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love Jürgen. The German, German yeah. engineer. Yeah. He Worked was for Georgia a lot. He was Georgia, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I ended up at the record plant. Um, we, you know, and I was there for a couple of years. Um you know, either engineering or assisting. Again, music had changed. <laughs> so what kind of stuff were you doing at the record plant at that time? Music that I would never have worked on otherwise. Right. I, you know, I worked on a lot of, hum we did, you know, a lot of Celine and we did Foster, Foster's Productions. I worked on Manah. Major pop stars. Major yeah, yeah. pop stars. That yeah, was yeah, the yeah. days, you know, Babyface. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it was interesting because it cemented to me that sometimes you have to be willing to push reset because if you know if you're if you're not if you know if you're not willing to do whatever it takes yeah in life you're probably may you may miss a, a decision and that became a great decision because a it, it made me realize what i didn't want to do and what i did want to do I, I say that a lot of times when i talk to people when i interview them about being an intern i say look there was no shame in, in coming in here at this entry level and realizing that this is what you don't want to do. I go, you're young. Most of them are young. And we go, this is where you figure out what you do and don't want to do. So I'd rather you come to me and say, look, you know, it's not for me. I think I want to go into movies or whatever. I said, because if you don't come to me and you suck, I will fire you. And secondly, you know, who wants to do something they don't like to do? Why would you want to do something you don't like to do? Well, sometimes you have to, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, in general, in life... But not for an entire lifetime. <laughs> no, of course not. No, that's <laughs> the whole nightmare. deal. No, absolutely. <laughs> and it also made me realize how important just getting just getting along with people is. Yeah. Never did I have to get along with as many people than as a record plant, because that not only was well, there... Well, it's a diva mentality you, uh, you're dealing with there. Yeah, and not only was there high turnover, um, but again, like Amy Burr was... She went from being like a front desk person to being Rose. Now she's been running herself studios for yeah, the last. Yeah, Larrabee. Now she's at Evergreen. Yes. And and again, making a, a friend like Amy and I are like. We're I love her. Like, you know, buddies for life, you know, yeah. things like that. There are certain relationships that you make and you put yourself in the position of being uncomfortable because <laughs> uh, it was uncomfortable to me. I was like, what am I doing? Am I going backwards? Am I going right. sideways? Am I? But you learned. And well, and part of it was like, okay, I I want to I want to show up for Rose, like Rose. Yeah, uh, she's as, solid. 
And and yeah. I, I also want to work in Hollywood. Like, I, I'm going to go to work in Hollywood. That was a decision. But what about the connections that you made on those sessions? They must have led to cool stuff. Well, they've, they've, they've been ongoing ever since right. you know it on you know all sorts of yeah. i mean that's all it is you know whether all it, it is is the next the referral to the next gig yeah really? i mean it was like in the 80s i used to we i used to use patrick leonard's studio all the time for transfers and stuff so johnny huma johnny huma uh, i just talked about the other day he's in connecticut he's in connecticut now yeah, he I thought, moved to connecticut because i had oh a client gosh. again i digress i had a client who reached out to me had a certain style of music and i listened to it and it was very sort of leonard coheny and i was like pat leonard and I, I sent the tracks to pat it doesn't happen to me often that people send me tracks and i do this where i get him a producer but he he and i i, I called pat and i wrote him and he goes i'm in connecticut and i'm kind of retired i'm just doing my own record and i said well that's a good thing you you well, should be doing your and own so record. here's the perfect perfect name that I you know because I met Pat at Johnny Yuma he moves up to Caribou Ranch he goes to Colorado yeah he's coming back to LA and he ends up back in LA and he's now being managed by a guy um Moyer and Trumbo that I'm being managed by at the time oh Tom Trumbo was your manager yeah and so Tom oh, cool. says to Pat well I got this engineer I think you'll get along with really well and they bring up my name I and Pat's Pat. like oh that, that's awesome I'm you know I've known him for 10 years, but I, you Dude, know, Pat's so good. And so Pat and I became a team and we, you know, worked oh, on a ton of shit. You know, we camped out that. here. We did Jewel. We did Roger yes, Waters. We did. Yeah. So, so Pat, we were working on Roger Waters and that's when we brought in Eddie Van Halen to play a solo, which bonded me with Eddie. And that led to the next 20 years with Ed, you know, like making the last record and, Aww. you know, which will be the last record. Aww. So Pat, you know, again, these relationships. Now, if you don't put yourself in a, you don't ever know the door that you're going through that's going to lead to the door that leads to the door. Right, right. It, so it sometimes could be you, three yeah. doors down. Pardon me. That, They're having a party. And, <laughs> right? Smoking and drinking and having a party. But, three doors down, you, but yeah. You don't know when you said yes to the one thing. And usually I was the guy that said yes to something that looked like hard work to somebody else. Right. And they didn't want to do it, did, whether it was going did, to the record plant, whether right. it was going to Rumbo, yeah. whether it was Richie Zito saying, man, I know you just worked like Richie a 14 hour day, but follow me to Giorgio's because I need a guy tonight. And yeah. the next thing I know, I'm working at Giorgio's too. You know, it's this like, is, this is so true of life in general. I mean, somewhere there's that A&R guy that turned down the Beatles. You know what I mean? Right. There's some guy that didn't say yes when he should have said yes. You know what I mean? But you you can't look into the crystal ball and you really, I think you got to trust your gut. I, I engineered you know? a record for free for my dear old friend who, again, is not with us, a guy named Marty Greb who played with Bonnie Raitt. Okay. And he had, oh, I think I might have he had a him. solo. Someone gave him just enough money to make a solo record, but he didn't have enough money. When I say for free, basically, you know. Yeah. It paid my gas to and from the studio. Right. But on that record, he had Taj Mahal and Little oh, yeah. Feet and had oh, Bonnie yeah. and all these people on that record. Well, the one person that played bass on that whole record was a guy named Reggie McBride, who I knew from Ry Cooter's band. And Reggie says to me, he goes, I'm going to introduce you to Keb Moe. Who's the, oh, I love you're gonna look, He goes, you, you guys will get along. This is all sort of interesting because this all segues to me because John Porter, who was part of that right. whole like Bonnie Ray, Keb Moe, Buddy Guy thing who I met when he was doing like School of Fish, uh, 
is the reason that I ended up in this building. He, he, I, I often say in interviews, like you meet a lot of pivotal people in your life and it's not just one. Usually there's usually a few, No, it's, but, yeah. but John was very pivotal for me because I was now working at Soundcastle, which was basically a, had become a gangster rap studio. And I knew John from working at Red Zone, doing all these blues records. And he was like, hey, I'm going to work for this guy. And he wants to buy, at first it was Sound City. And then he goes, well, no, we're going to buy 6,000 Sunset. And I was like, oh my God. Like, yes, I please, I want to go. Because I knew about the studio and the history. So yeah, back well, to that, you though. I'm talking just, about, yeah. talking about with Keb Moe. Well, and and that's, that, that was the thing. It was like, he introduces me to Keb Moe. And now, you know, a handful of Grammys later in oh, 25 yeah. years 26 years later, so nice. we're still making records together. And is he living in Nashville? Yeah, he moved to Nashville. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's and, in Nashville. And, you know, so those kind of things, you don't, you're not, I'm not psychic. You and I both don't know the future. We have no idea. But I think, I think, you know, there is something about gut and instinct. Now, I'm not saying you, you, you can't, you know, say no to the best thing ever and mess up, but you got to trust your gut after a certain point in time. Well, that was yeah. the thing. I just, I, I knew, you know, I knew when I said yes to Rose and, and Mike that it wasn't going to look immediately like the, it, there was no glory in that decision. Right, right, right. But it was a decision that I made because I felt I had been. Did you bring rights that's over there too? Oh, no, he was already, he's see, already... Dave was like off and running with Foster. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So when he showed up and. And and he would come in and and then I would literally have to assist oh, him. Oh Jesus! You know, and and you know, so now I'm assisting him, and I was like, <laughs> I, but I would I would take him out in the hallway, and I go, you can't yell at me, dude. Yeah, yeah, come you on, know, dude. You know, yeah. we're bros, man. Uh, yeah, come on, dude. Yeah, you know. Wait, I got you that gig. Yeah, yeah. So you can't. You know, there's no. He's no. a sweeter. He's a we're, sweetheart. We're buddies, man. We're yeah, super, yeah, he's a sweet. Yeah, we're super. But you, yeah, but see, this is so bizarre because the people who are listening to this. You know, it's a it's a bitter pill for some people to swallow. Some people aren't capable of doing that, but sometimes taking st- taking that step back and being humble leads to something else so much greater. That like if you hadn't done it, yeah. Know. I mean, there are cats like you know Casey um, Keith Cohn would 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 say, "Okay, man, your drum sounds like or I I I can't he's I can't even record." A drum sound so here i'm gonna slip you some bucks and you get me a drum sound and just smile okay when they come in and they yeah, go, act That's like it's awesome. mine yeah. yeah and he would he, you know and i would be cool with it because keith you know because nice he was guy. cool about it yeah. it was like paul mckenna the same thing paul was like producing mana and all these latin bands oh and, my god paul and you got mckenna. benny here you know cats like benny so great. and moogie, and, moogie. so again so now I'm at the record plant and I'm making friends with people that I would never have otherwise made. And then Quincy Jones comes in and I'm part of the engineering of back on the block and, you know, Amazing. and that wins, you know, so it's just, again, I know you have six a, minutes. We have six minutes, but the bottom line is <laughs> some of the things you're going to, we, or you are going to end up doing in life. They look like hard work to somebody else. And that you said, trust your instinct. I have to trust when my gut says, yeah, go, 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 do it. Yeah. Like if you got a favorite baseball cap, yeah, you got to throw it over the fence because if you throw it over the fence, you're gonna have to go climb that fence to go get it. Yeah, yeah. And Just sometimes take the leap. You have to go take that leap of yeah, faith. Yeah, yeah. And I've done that quite a few times in my life, Aww. and uh, and and they it's paid off because we're gonna have to do part two, three, and four because I want to find out <laughs> about this bad childhood. Ah. That's what I- <laughs> 
I was such a I was such a punk. I was such a punk. Well, no, I mean, I've I've known you for such a long time. Always been great to me, and I think, but you know, we were cut from the same cloth in the sense that I don't ever want anything to be wrong. No, I want it to be great. You know, so from the littlest thing, like yeah. a, parking is a nightmare for me here. So parking's a pain in my ass. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the make it make the banana bread. Oh, check and make sure they're not allergic to walnuts. You know, it's it's all it's the little things. And he was talking about preparation earlier. You guys are listening to this. Plenty of people are going to listen to this. Hopefully that aren't going to become recording engineers. But you certainly should pay attention because if it wasn't for recording engineers all of the great music that we've been listening to for 60, 70 years, you would not be listening to. Yes, it takes the artist, but if there wasn't somebody to capture it, you wouldn't be hearing it. Well, so there's know? certain certain highlights of, like, I think our conversation. One of them is I don't ever not want to care about yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I care. I care about it. Now, I'm not curing cancer. No animals get injured in our experiments. <laughs> exactly. But... I care. I care about this because I believe that what we're doing it is important. It oh, actually it, matters. Oh. And when you make a record that years later someone said... That you know, touched I, my life. Right? Well, yeah. I was lying in bed and I was so depressed. I was going to slit my wrist and then I heard your Faster Pussycat album. <laughs> and it and made it me jump up and go score some drugs and get loaded. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. That might, that might actually have to be the note we end on. Uh, well, and that leads to you got to have a sense of humor. Yes, yeah, true. You got to have a sense of humor. If you don't get to laugh, laugh with, laugh at. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, some things I've had to curb in my life is I, I'm, I can be sarcastic. And, and, yeah, and, and that can be painful to some people because they don't have that sense people of humor. People are sensitive. But yeah, you got to laugh. You got to, but I care. I care and I want to be, and underneath it all though is kindness. Yeah, like, no one's ever doubted that. I don't, I don't want to have anybody walk away and go, you know, that guy's a dick, you know, he's that, you know, but I would rather have someone say that guy made a difference than that guy didn't care. Absolutely. I, I'd rather have some, someone that was even, and you're, you're so mellow now, but someone say, oh, that guy was tough on me, but I learned. Like we were talking about Eddie earlier, talking about, you know, Al or whatever. We never said we didn't think they were geniuses. They were geniuses. No one will ever <laughs> say that I'm the most easygoing guy in the studio until I am. Oh, you're you're pretty groovy now, though. Yeah, and, I mean, and a lot of people have mellowed after, over time too. I, I, I'm not as much. I mean, I wasn't a nervous wreck, you know, but. I'm less nervous than I was, but it doesn't mean I don't care. Right. You know what I mean? It's just Absolutely. I'm more familiar with my surroundings than I know. You know, you, you learn to you learn your job, <laughs> basically. Yeah, and then you also learn to ask for help too. You get yeah. to you know, you actually get to realize that, man, we don't do any of this alone. Exactly. And we're not alone. Yeah. And and I'm surrounded by what what a wealth of amazing people. Might as well let them, you know, let what them, you know, hey, take my advice. I'm not using it myself. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I like I liked what you said about the assistant being your partner, too. I oh, mean, it's... I think sometimes what happens with younger guys and why they may f seem disengaged, even though it's up to you, ultimately, assistant engineer, to get involved, they may seem disengaged because they don't feel that feeling from the engineer like, hey, we're doing this together. We're in this together. We're gonna we're gonna make this an amazing day because those musicians out there they're giving it their all. So we're gonna give it our all in here and capture what they're laying down. They're, they're, we're not gonna fuck up what they're doing. The legacy <laughs> of of cats that have come out of the here 
and next door yeah are some of the greatest engineers dude you know, i i rafa I, oh yeah i mean you um, said it we, we stand on the shoulders of those that came before us i mean i never met bill putnam senior but i sit in a building every day that he designed and i thank god for him Oh, my God. Oh, these are churches. Yeah, they are. They're cathedrals of creativity. They are, definitely. Well, well Ross, I know you got a... You're a deacon in the church. Oh, <laughs> so, I love so, you. Uh, here comes... The, no, I'd like to say just thank you for your time. And um, yeah, there's a lot... Hopefully, people listening to these things actually hear the messages and hear what we're saying and understand that we're talking from our heart because it, we really are. And it's such a joy to be friends oh, with you for this I love, I love you so, you so much, much too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> thank <laughs> all you. Right. That's all for this episode. Big group hug. Secrets.